0: part 2 section 12 of the main woods by henry david thoreau this LibriVox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part 2 Chisongkuk. section 12 the moose venture out to the riverside to feed and drink at night earlier in the season the hunters do not use a horn to call them out but steal upon them as they are feeding along the sides of the stream and often the first notice they have of one is the sound of the water dropping from its muzzle an indian whom i heard imitate the voice of the moose and also that of the caribou and the deer using a much longer horn than joe's told me that the first could be heard eight or ten miles sometimes it was a loud sort of bellowing sound clearer and more sonorous than the lowing of cattle the caribou's a sort of snort and the small deer's like that of a lamb at length we turned up the moose horn where the indians at the carry had told us that they killed a moose the night before this is a very meandering stream only a rod or two in width but comparatively deep coming in on the right fitly enough named moose horn whether from its windings or its inhabitants it was bordered here and there by narrow meadows between the stream and the endless forest affording favourable places for the moose to feed and to call them out on we proceeded half a mile up this as through a narrow winding canal where the tall dark spruce and firs and arborvitae towered on both sides in the moonlight forming a perpendicular forest edge of great height like the spires of a venice in the forest in two places stood a small stack of hay on the bank ready for the lumberer's use in the winter looking strange enough there we thought of the day when this might be a brook winding through smooth-shaven meadows on some gentleman's grounds and seen by moonlight then excepting the forest that now hems it in how little changed it would appear again and again joe called the moose placing the canoe close by some favourable point of meadow for them to come out on but listened in vain to hear one come rushing through the woods and concluded that they had been hunted too much thereabouts we saw many times what to our imaginations looked like a gigantic moose with his horns peering from out the forest edge but we saw the forest only and not its inhabitants that night so at last we turned about there was now a little fog on the water though it was a fine clear night above there were very few sounds to break the stillness of the forest several times we heard the hooting of a great horned owl as at home and told joe that he would call out the moose for him for he made a sound considerably like the horn but joe answered that the moose had heard that sound a thousand times and knew better and oftener still we were startled by the plunge of a musquash once when joe had called again and we were listening for moose we heard come faintly echoing or creeping from far through the moss-clad aisles a dull dry rushing sound with a solid core to it yet as if half smothered under the grasp of the luxuriant and fungus-like forest like the shutting of a door in some distant entry of the damp and shaggy wilderness if we had not been there no mortal had heard it when we asked joe in a whisper what it was he answered tree fall there is something singularly grand and impressive in the sound of a tree falling in a perfectly calm night like this as if the agencies which overthrow it did not need to be excited but worked with a subtle deliberate and conscious force like a boa constrictor and more effectively then than even in a windy day if there is any such difference perhaps it is because trees with the dews of the night on them are heavier than by day having reached the camp about ten o'clock we kindled our fire and went to bed each of us had a blanket in which he lay on the fir twigs with his extremities toward the fire but nothing over his head it was worth the while to lie down in a country where you could afford such great fires that was one whole side and the bright side of our world we had first rolled up a large log some eighteen inches through and ten feet long for a back log to last all night and then piled on the trees to the height of three or four feet no matter how green or damp in fact we burned as much wood that night as would with economy and an air-tight stove last a poor family in one of our cities all winter it was very agreeable as well as independent thus lying in the open air and the fire kept our uncovered extremities warm enough the jesuit missionaries used to say that in their journeys with the indians in canada they lay on a bed which had never been shaken up since the creation unless by earthquakes it is surprising with what impunity and comfort one who has always lain in a warm bed in a close apartment and studiously avoided draughts of air can lie down on the ground without a shelter roll himself in a blanket and sleep before a fire in a frosty autumn night just after a long rainstorm and even come soon to enjoy and value the fresh air i lay awake awhile watching the ascent of the sparks through the firs and sometimes their descent and half-extinguished cinders on my blanket they were as interesting as fireworks going up in endless successive crowds each after an explosion in an eager serpentine course some to five or six rods above the tree-tops before they went out we do not suspect how much our chimneys have concealed and now air-tight stoves have come to conceal all the rest in the course of the night i got up once or twice and put fresh logs on the fire making my companions curl up their legs when we awoke in the morning saturday september seventeenth there was considerable frost whitening the leaves we heard the sound of the chickadee and a few faintly lisping birds and also of ducks in the water about the island i took a botanical account of stock of our domains before the dew was off and found that the ground hemlock or american yew was the prevailing under shrub. We breakfasted on tea hard bread and ducks before the fog had fairly cleared away we paddled down the stream again and were soon past the mouth of the moose these twenty miles of the penobscot between moosehead and Chesuncook lakes are comparatively smooth and a great part dead water but from time to time it is shallow and rapid with rocks or gravel beds where you can wade across there is no expanse of water and no break in the forest and the meadow is a mere edging here and there there are no hills near the river nor within sight except one or two distant mountains seen in a few places the banks are from six to ten feet high but once or twice rise gently to higher ground in many places the forest on the bank was but a thin strip letting the light through from some alder swamp or meadow behind the conspicuous berry-bearing bushes and trees along the shore were the red osier with its whitish fruit, hobblebush, mountain ash, tree cranberry, choke cherry, now ripe, alternate cornel, and naked viburnum, following Joe's example, I ate the fruit of the last and also of the hobble hobblebush, but found them rather insipid and seedy. I looked very narrowly at the vegetation as we glided along close to the shore, and frequently made Joe turn aside for me to pluck a plant that I might see by comparison what was primitive about my native river. Horehound horsemint and the sensitive fern grew close to the edge along the willows and alders and wool grass on the islands as along the Assabet river in concord it was too late for flowers except a few asters goldenrods etc in several places we noticed the slight frame of a camp such as we had prepared to set up amid the forest by the riverside where some lumberers or hunters had passed a night and sometimes steps cut in the muddy or clay bank in front of it we stopped to fish for trout at the mouth of a small stream called ragmuff which came in from the west about two miles below the Moosehorn. here were the ruins of an old lumbering camp and a small space which had formerly been cleared and burned over was now densely overgrown with a red cherry and raspberries while we were trying for trout joe indian-like wandered off up the ragmuff on his own errands and when we were ready to start was far beyond coal so we were compelled to make a fire and get our dinner here not to lose time some dark reddish birds with greyer females perhaps purple finches and myrtle birds in their summer dress hopped within six or eight feet of us and our smoke perhaps they smelled the frying pork the latter bird or both made the lisping notes which i had heard in the forest they suggested that the few small birds found in the wilderness are on more familiar terms with the lumberman and hunter than those of the orchard and clearing with the farmer i have since found the canada jay and partridges both the black and the common equally tame there as if they had not yet learned to mistrust man entirely the chickadee which is at home alike in the primitive woods and in our woodlots still retains its confidence in the towns to a remarkable degree Joe at length returned, after an hour and a half, and said that he had been two miles up the stream exploring and had seen a moose, but not having the gun he did not get him. We made no complaint, but concluded to look out for Joe the next time. However, this may have been a mere mistake, for we had no reason to complain of him afterwards. As we continued down the stream, I was surprised to hear him whistling O Susanna, and several other such airs, while his paddle urged us along once he said yes siree his common word was certain he paddled as usual on one side only giving the birch an impulse by using the side as a fulcrum i asked him how the ribs were fastened to the side rails he answered i don't know i never noticed talking with him about subsisting wholly on what the woods yielded game fish berries etc i suggested that his ancestors did so but he answered that he had been brought up in such a way that he could not do it yes said he that's the way they got a living like wild fellows wild as bears by george i shan't go into the woods without provision hard bread pork etc he had brought on a barrel of hard bread and stored it at the carry for his hunting however though he was a governor's son he had not learned to read at one place below this on the east side where the bank was higher and drier than usual rising gently from the shore to a slight elevation someone had felled the trees over twenty or thirty acres and left them drying in order to burn this was the only preparation for a house between the moosehead kerry and but there was no hut nor inhabitants there yet the pioneer thus selects a site for his house which will perhaps prove the germ of a town my eyes were all the while on the trees Distinguishing between the black and white spruce and the fir. You paddle along in a narrow canal through an endless forest, and the vision I have in my mind's eye still is of the small dark and sharp tops of tall fir and spruce trees and pagoda-like arborvites crowded together on each side with various hard woods intermixed. Some of the arborvites were at least sixty feet high the hard woods occasionally occurring exclusively were less wild to my eye i fancied them ornamental grounds with farmhouses in the rear the canoe and yellow birch beech maple and elm are saxon and norman but the spruce and fir and pines generally are indian the soft engravings which adorn the annuals give no idea of a stream in such a wilderness as this the rough sketches in Jackson's reports on the geology of Maine answer much better at one place we saw a small grove of slender sapling white pines the only collection of pines that i saw on this voyage here and there however was a full-grown tall and slender but defective one what lumbermen call a conscious tree which they ascertain with their axes or by the knots i did not learn whether this word was indian or english it reminded me of the greek a conch or shell and i amused myself with fancying that it might signify the dead sound which the trees yield when struck all the rest of the pines had been driven off how far men go for the material of their houses the inhabitants of the most civilized cities in all ages send into far primitive forests beyond the bounds of their civilization where the moose and bear and savage dwell for their pine boards for ordinary use and on the other hand the savage soon receives from cities iron arrow-points hatchets and guns to point his savageness with the solid and well-defined fir-tops like sharp and regular spearheads, black against the sky gave a peculiar dark and sombre look to the forest the spruce tops have a similar but more ragged outline their shafts also merely feathered below the firs were somewhat oftener regular and dense pyramids i was struck by this universal spiring upward of the forest evergreens the tendency is to slender spiring tops while they are narrower below not only the spruce and fir but even the arborvitae and white pine unlike the soft spreading second growth of which i saw none all spire upwards lifting a dense spearhead of cones to the light and air at any rate while their branches straggle after as they may as indians lift a ball over the heads of the crowd in their desperate game in this they resemble grasses as also palms somewhat the hemlock is commonly a tent-like pyramid from the ground to its summit after passing through some long rips and by a large island we reached an interesting part of the river called the pine stream deadwater about six miles below ragmuff where the river expanded to thirty rods in width and had many islands in it with elms and canoe birches now yellowing along the shore and we got our first sight of here about two o'clock we turned up a small branch three or four rods wide which comes in on the right from the south called pine stream to look for moose signs we had gone but a few rods before we saw very recent signs along the water's edge the mud lifted up by their feet being quite fresh and joe declared that they had gone along there but a short time before we soon reached a small meadow on the east side at an angle in the stream which was for the most part densely covered with alders as we were advancing along the edge of this rather more quietly than usual perhaps on account of the freshness of the signs the design being to camp up this stream if it promised well i heard a slight crackling of twigs deep in the alders and turned joe's attention to it whereupon he began to push the canoe back rapidly and we had receded thus half a dozen rods when we suddenly spied two moose standing just on the edge of the open part of the meadow which we had passed not more than six or seven rods distant looking round the alders at us they made me think of great frightened rabbits with their long ears and half-inquisitive half-frightened looks the true denizens of the forest i saw at once filling a vacuum which now first i discovered had not been filled for me moose men wood-eaters the word is said to mean clad in a sort of vermont grey or homespun our nimrod owing to the retrograde movement was now the farthest from the game but being warned of its neighbourhood he hastily stood up and while we ducked fired over our heads one barrel at the foremost which alone he saw though he did not know what kind of creature it was whereupon this one dashed across the meadow and up a high bank on the northeast so rapidly as to leave but an indistinct impression of its outlines on my mind at the same instant the other a young one but as tall as a horse leaped out into the stream in full sight and there stood cowering for a moment or rather its disproportionate lowness behind gave it that appearance and uttering two or three trumpeting squeaks i have an indistinct recollection of seeing the old one pause an instant on the top of the bank in the woods look toward its shivering young and then dash away again the second barrel was levelled at the calf and when we expected to see it drop in the water after a little hesitation it too got out of the water and dashed up the hill though in a somewhat different direction all this was the work of a few seconds and our hunter having never seen a moose before did not know but they were deer for they stood partly in the water nor whether he had fired at the same one twice or not from the style in which they went off and the fact that he was not used to standing up and firing from a canoe i judged that we should not see anything more of them the indians said that they were a cow and her calf a yearling or perhaps two years old for they accompany their dam so long but for my part i had not noticed much difference in their size it was but two or three rods across the meadow to the foot of the bank which like all the world thereabouts was densely wooded but i was surprised to notice that as soon as the moose had passed behind the veil of the woods there was no sound of footsteps to be heard from the soft damp moss which carpets that forest and long before we landed perfect silence reigned joe said if you wound a moose me sure get him end of part 2 section 12 recording by expatriate in bangor maine